Good morning, Dr. Philip. Good morning, Belle. Good morning, It's a different Diddy. scene today. You're <laughs> at is. the office. Yeah, we're talking through gadgets <laughs> to each other. Well, that's the new norm that we all have to get used oh, to. Oh, we're back to our, this new norm again. Yeah, that's right. So we're discussing articles today regarding mental health. Let's get to our first article. Now, this one is interesting. It's a yoga as a practice that can help address your unique physical, emotional, or mental Mental concerns. So, how does yoga help us maintain good physical, emotional, and mental health? Well, mental health is a part of everyone's state of mind. Uh, you can have good and bad mental health. And this typically varies for each individual from time to time. I mean, you know, you get your place uh, declared a CMCO, then your mental health may be poor. Poor mental health can, though, be a precursor. To mental illnesses or even medical conditions. There's enough evidence to show that poor mental health can lead to diabetes and hypertension. Uh, there are many ways to ensure good mental health, uh, and that includes you know, eating well, keeping active, talking about your feelings, taking a break, and having good social connections. Yoga is also a component for maintaining good mental health because it incorporates things like, you know, breathing, exercise, uh, mindfulness, and uh, meditation. In fact, yoga therapy, which is very different from just yoga, is well known as a means to help maintain good mental health. And often poor mental health will lead to mental illness. So yoga is a part of that holistic treatment for mental disorders that we as psychiatrists and psychologists sometimes recommend. You know, So this is in addition to medication, psychotherapy, family therapy, and other mainstream treatments. It can be used as a complementary treatment. You were saying earlier that yoga is different from yoga therapy. What yeah. is the difference, Doc? Well, yoga therapy is actually done by mental health experts who also learn yoga. And they actually do assessments of individuals to identify what their specific needs and then incorporate that in that whole yoga therapy session as well. In this next article, Doc, Britain's Prince Harry and his wife Meghan Markle actually spoke about a campaign against social media negativity with Prince Harry actually warning of a global crisis of hate that was affecting people's mental health. Now, we all know that social media is an increasingly powerful trigger of mental health issues. Uh, and even uh, Prince Harry's wife, Meghan Markle, has revealed that she actually shut down all of her social media accounts for her own self-preservation. At what point do we know that it is time to shut down our social media for our own sanity? Mm. Well, actually, social media has positive and negative effects. The positives, you know, include being able to access therapy online or even getting more information, staying up to date with certain things. Uh, of course, you know, with therapy online and all that, data protection and confidentiality are issues that need to be protected. There's also been a surge on in information of mental health well-being during the pandemic, and this has really helped support people with underlying mental health issues. Uh, but, of course, the real issue is how do we... Uh, you know, sort of identify what's real and what's not. Um, and uh, so that can be a challenge sometimes. But of course, social media has aided people to keep in touch with each other. And this really helps reduce isolation. But too much consumption, especially of COVID-19 news, has also led to more anxiety and fear. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's also the overindulgence leading to neglecting essential self-help strategies that are important during, uh, you know, this period of lockdown. Uh, so it's really about a balance. 
people need to know that overuse can impact you know their mental health and they need to learn ways to discern appropriate appropriately to distance themselves when they're already in a bad space i actually usually advise my patients to avoid engaging in social media at least 30 minutes to or an hour before sleep um as they have really no control on what's being posted they may encounter negative news and information and that will definitely influence their sleep patterns mm. um sometimes i actually tell them when you just stay off social media for a while till you get mentally more stronger you know and instead do some light reading or watch some entertaining shows it's good to monitor and schedule social media use not just for those with a mental disorder but for everyone so that you are in control and not being controlled it's important to remember that social media can never be a replacement for the real world human connection it requires you know in person contact with others to trigger that hormones that alleviate stress and make you feel happier so i think you know we should try and reduce the reliance on social media and the only way we can do that is to break away from it um you know every now and then so we know we're not overindulging in it now doctor whenever older people especially those age 65 years or older are mentioned in relation to covid-19 it is nearly always like they're a risk factor group right many older people might fear not only the disease itself but also worry that if infected they might not receive the adequate treatment because the medical community prioritizes caring for younger people and uh this is what this article called covid ageism can you tell us a bit more about covid ageism and how does it impact the mental health of the elderly well ageism itself is the stereotyping prejudice and discrimination against people on the basis of their age so covid ageism is the same stereotyping in relation to the elderly um, and in relation to covid disease many older people actually might fear not only the disease itself but also worry that if infected they may not actually receive adequate treatment because the medical community seems to be prioritizing caring for younger people you know the uh, fake news that goes around saying the herd immunity will come in and you know the weak will then pass away and the rest will be the strong and survive well that's telling the older people goodbye mm. you know it's it's like the public telling them we don't really care about you so you know i i think all these are things that we are not actually cognizant of it's actually happening in our media posts in our communication and then social isolation among older people has you know long been a public health concern and this will be you know worsened by these warnings for all older people regardless of their health status to you know stay at home don't go out isolate yourself uh, i mean we often hear press briefings emphasizing on the age of the covid victims and their comorbidities which sounds like it it's a disease of the elderly yeah and the restrictions then designed to shield the vulnerable may actually cause older fee- people to feel like a burden to society mm. so yeah together i i think that decreased sense of belonging and perceived burdensome these are risk factors for actually depression and suicide um, wow yeah so i think we need to actually take this into consideration when we communicate you know these risks and issues uh to the general public as well. So Dr. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Um and a breast cancer diagnosis is difficult for a woman of any age, but for younger women it can be extra stressful because it sort of interrupts them in the middle of their personal life. Maybe they were just got married and they want to have babies, so it will interrupt their reproductive lives as well. So what can 
can younger breast cancer patients do to cope with this anxiety of battling this life-threatening disease at such a young stage in their lives? Well, breast cancer sadly remains the second leading cause of death in women worldwide. Uh, the month of uh, October, as you mentioned, is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and that is to raise more public awareness about the issue. But for long, breast cancer is very often focused on prevention, survival, and cure. But in metastatic or advanced breast cancer, which is the most severe stage, sometimes it's incurable, which means that such patients are often left out of the conversation. Uh, what is especially worrying is the increasing trend of advanced breast cancer among younger women. Mm. And, uh, you know, a di- diagnosis in a younger woman can be challenging due to many reasons because younger women tend to have dense breasts, so that can hide the cancer during routine screening. Some may uh, actually choose to disregard symptoms because they think it's improbable that they're having cancer at that age. But because they're having it at a young age, uh, it's at the peak of their personal, professional and reproductive lives. This can cause a lot of anxiety and stress. Uh, Generally, breast cancer is a significant stressor in women's life. And many of these patients suffer from some psychological problems like anxiety, depression, fear of recurrence if they do recover, and worries about the family and future. So they need appropriate intervention. The coping strategies can influence treatment outcomes. So, you know, if they're not actually developing coping strategies, then it has poor treatment outcomes. And survival rates of women with breast cancer and coping is accepted to be one of the core concepts in the concept context of quality of life for these women. You know, so they have actually significant needs uh, for supportive care uh, that is very often unmet, that includes like, you know, information needs, sometimes unmet needs in their physical well-being and everyday life. And so there needs to be you know, intervention programs and additional support, uh, supportive care services. Support groups play an important role. In Malaysia, we have the Breast Cancer Welfare Association uh, that was formed in 1986, and they provide peer support for women with breast cancer. So so having that support will helps help them cope mentally. Yeah, I mean, that's the first step. I think if, of course, from there, they need to also identify if it's interfering with their day-to-day life and their coping mechanisms. And then they may need more professional help. So there can be a psychologist or psychiatrist. In most cancer treatment units, there are mental health professionals as well. Mm. And they address these issues and the, the support may be temporary and just for the short term until they develop their own coping mechanisms. 